John Brown is a representative 19th century figure. In many respects, study of his life provides many insights into his times, and while this is hardly unique, Brown has been so victimized by reductionist, accusatory, and even petty interpretations that this biographical appreciation often has been lost. Unlike Abraham Lincoln, who once stated that his father had taught him to work, but had never learned him to love it, John Brown was taught the work of the frontier farmer, and he loved it exceedingly. Born 220 years ago, May 9, 1800, the arc of John Brown's life does not even reach the third quarter of his century, and yet somehow his life filled out the rest of the 1800s. The grandson of a Revolutionary War soldier, Young John was an eyewitness of the War of 1812, an open opponent of the Mexican War, and an advocate of the Free State cause in territorial Kansas. He was the quintessential farmer, settler, community leader, livestock specialist, and in the 1840s was considered an authority on fine sheep and wool. He was both a contributor to and the subject of discussions in agrarian journals at the time. John Brown was never privileged, although in young adulthood he enjoyed a period of advancement and success. Contrary to what often has been said about him, Brown's period of economic failure in the late 1830s and early 1840s was not his alone. He was among many other hopeful entrepreneurs who lacked the advantages that modern business people enjoy, especially the limited liability corporation. His business failures, often scandalized by historians and writers, actually were shared by others in his generation and were less about bad business practice as they were the unstable economic conditions and downturns that prevailed in the insecure economy of the antebellum United States. Overall, John Brown often exhibited a forward-looking perspective, a blend of religious faith and personal optimism that led Boyd Stutler to call him ever a pensioner of hope. Yet if John Brown was typical of the literate, ambitious, and hard-working prairie farmer, he was also quite inclined towards society's movement from an agrarian to a manufacturing base. Like other literate agrarians, he read widely and was something of an educated layman in matters of religion, politics, technology, and the social currents of his day. Widely known as a man of great integrity and of kind disposition, John Brown was his generation's version of a social and political progressive, quite in contrast to conservatives who supported slavery. To be sure, some of the debates in which Brown became entangled in his lifetime seem quaint today, such as his opposition to Freemasonry or his openness to the pseudoscience of phrenology. But he was also prescient in his social views regarding the advancement of people of color and women, his disdain of the abuses of wealthy manufacturers, and his opposition to his country's war with Mexico in the 1840s, which he saw rightly as indicating pro-slavery expansionism. A traditional biblicist at a time when European liberalism was beginning to challenge theology, it is somewhat ironic that John Brown's controversial raid on Harper's Ferry in 1859 was a landmark of anti-racism, while in the same year Charles Darwin's controversial On the Origin of Species was published, bearing the somewhat embarrassing subtitle The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. After his hanging in Virginia, John Brown was often recalled and celebrated by writers, orators, 
poets, and playwrights from the United States and beyond for the rest of the 19th century. The inspiration that Brown provided to the European independence movement is well published, although it is often overlooked that he was likewise a heroic figure among oppressed people in Haiti, Puerto Rico, and beyond. The father of Puerto Rican nationalism, Ramon Emeterio Betances, drew great inspiration from Brown for his own people's struggle against Spanish colonialism. A physician, Betances was both an anti-colonialist and a radical anti-slavery man who advocated immediate emancipation with or without compensation. In 1867, when some of his comrades were held by the colonial government in Madrid, Betances composed a verse inspired by John Brown. Behold, they sacrificed John Brown, and he died. John on the gallows. The night of his martyrdom, the stars were covered in darkness, and a frightening noise was heard from north to south and from east to west, a noise which shook the whole earth. It was the sound of slavery's chains being broken, and it was for them, the slaveholding Pharisees, fury and gnashing of teeth. The reality of John Brown's positive attitude, progressive spirit, and warm humanitarianism was all but lost to writers, journalists, and filmmakers in the early 20th century, whose presentations actually coincided with the rise of segregation and flagrant racial discrimination that prevailed well into the civil rights era. Both white Southern writers and backpedaling historians in the North began to defame Brown's legacy with unsubstantiated charges of insanity, ruthlessness, and fanaticism, a tendency that contaminated his reputation for generations and still has an evident influence in the minds of many whites. This defamation was concurrent with the elevation of the Abraham Lincoln Great Emancipator myth, which was foisted upon the entire nation, especially African Americans, by both white and black revisionists, not only to the detriment of John Brown's memory, but also that of black abolitionists themselves. By the mid-20th century, the effort to drive John Brown to the margins of white society's national memory was finally accomplished. However, the historical record shows that for generations, John Brown was considered a central figure of the 19th century. John Brown is a vital figure for anyone attempting to read and interpret the tragic era of slavery in the United States. Larry Lawrence, the founder and chairman of the John Brown Society, often has said that John Brown is the cow in the middle of the road for anyone studying the United States in the 19th century. Standing squarely in the middle of the road of history, Brown forces us to see the reality of slavery, not as a parenthetical issue, but as the monstrous tyranny that oppressed and exploited millions of Africans in the United States and supported the privilege of all whites, North and South. Often, in order to circumvent the racist reality of the United States and its elevated leaders, white writers have tried to get around John Brown, dismissing him as a madman, religious fanatic, or as a domestic terrorist, Lies such as these find no warrant in the evidence of history, but they are predictable given that many white writers have a prior commitment to a national mythology forged in the presumptions of white supremacy, which must necessarily treat slavery as a negative inconvenience to blacks and, as W.E.B. Du Bois put it, as something thrust upon unwilling, helpless America while the South was blameless in becoming its center. Fortunately, there is abundant writing from truthful witnesses who recognize the centrality of John Brown in the struggle against slavery, 
Perhaps Frederick Douglass best summed up the real meaning of John Brown's final role, concluding in his 1881 address at Storer College. John Brown began the war that ended American slavery and made this a free republic. Until the blow at Harper's Ferry was struck, the prospect for freedom was dim, shadowy, and uncertain. The irrepressible conflict was one of words, votes, and compromises. When John Brown stretched forth his arm, the sky was clear. The time for compromises was gone. The armed hosts of freedom stood face to face over the chasm of a broken union, and the clash of arms was at hand. The South staked all upon getting possession of the federal government, and failing to do that, drew the sword of rebellion and thus made her own, and not John Brown's, the lost cause of the century. As he himself says, the day he was home, or the day before he was home, I now believe, and I paraphrase, that the crimes of this guilty land will never be abolished, will never be wiped out by, by blood. I saw that it could be done, he says, with a very little bloodshed. But he was wrong. He was right then and he was right now. I think he was a great American prophet. And he was one of the great, one of the really great Americans. We started a discussion about John Brown, who talked about the of the federal government in an attempt to liberate not merely black slaves, but a whole country from a disastrous way of life. However horrible it may sound, it was a kind of act of love. Well, it failed. And sadly, such acts always do fail. And what's left is what the impact made on the conscience of a few people, which travels down in time. No, so it wasn't futile. But until today, the institutions, which is where slavery is acted out, mm. have not changed. Until the institutions have changed, there's no point in talking about progress. <laughs>